Hello, this is the Bullshit Binary. My name is Clara. Hi, I'm Umu. And this is episode six, which is going to be our last episode for this first season of the Bullshit Binary. Today, we're going to talk about black womanhood and we're just going to try to go in multiple directions here. We tried to kind of narrow it down, but then it, it was quite difficult because there's so much that's interesting about it from a theoretical perspective. Yeah, and to be for me, over the course of, I guess, uh, we both study on a gender degree, and over the course of this year, black woman has just been basically, as a black woman, something that I've constantly brought into my studies. Um, and I think it's just so, I don't know, there's just so much to, that, for me personally, I feel... Uh, to sort of say about it and I think that how we construct our womanhood or sexuality or race is so such an important topic that's not always uh, adequately discussed yeah I kind of feel like for me it's come up a lot as well and I had definitely engaged with with like the broader theoretical framework before but I think in this degree it's definitely come up more and I am understanding more my position as a white woman I Mm. think and my privilege. Mm. And I think that's kind of why we wanted to get someone on the podcast who mm. knows a lot about this and has written uh, some stuff on it. So we've got Rayanne on here today. Hi. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Rayanne. I study <laughs> gender and sexuality. And I really got swamped into black womanhood just through studying and reading and every like module we had I just kind of was like oh how can I fit race my identity within this and it became like a very complex situation like topic that I ended up just being like how do I even define black womanhood now is really what I'm battling I'm like what stereo what stereotypes do am I okay with what labels am I what labels am I okay with what identity would I say that best defines black womanhood I don't no, yet. I'm still trying to work that one out. Yeah, it's so it's something that's so can feel so personal, but then so to sort of analyse it in a university setting or like in a theoretical setting is can be kind of difficult. Yeah. But it's still so valuable and so like important yeah, to like I don't know if you're personally to sort of get to the bottom with because yeah. it's tied to so much sort of pain or, or sort of, in a yeah. way. So I think part of why it's so valuable to study is to sort of understand why that comes about the experience of black women is very central to black womanhood i think it's all the negative stuff which kind of is uncomfortable but i always realize that it is the negative stuff that does shape black womanhood into what it is it's the stereotypes that are placed on you as over like promiscuous Mm. hypersexualized um unintelligent aggressive those are really what shape black womanhood and as much as they are very negative I think it's productive for black women because we've then got this whole community of black feminists who are trying to change and move forward and make that anger and aggression and those over sexual stereotypes productive and make I've seen like Rihanna makes money out of making Mm. having like ownership over her sexuality which is quite different to how most black women would view themselves of being like, oh, you're wearing, of being demonised as over-sexual or promiscuous. Yeah. So do you think the empowerment comes from a resistance to these stereotypes as well as like a sort of like turning it around like Rihanna is doing? Yeah, I think it's like flipping it, but it's also owning it also in a very weird way. It's like, 
owning it but making it your own so I can say yes I'm aggressive but I because I know what I want I'm not gonna and you're not aggressive yeah, because you're black yeah it's not yeah, because I'm yeah. black it's because I know what I want and I'm gonna make that be my standpoint so I'm passionate about things and I'm never gonna diminish that about anything about myself so if you want to call me aggressive I'm aggressive because I'm passionate so I can add it to something else rather than it being like oh you're an aggressive black woman yeah. it's more than that I think very much yeah I think it's like really important to resist sort of like essentializing what like a black woman can be so like oh a black woman is aggressive and yeah. then that to, to apply that one label when uh I don't know to be anything comes with so many other things yeah like I mean that anger or aggression comes alongside a lot of resistance um which kind of gets ignored when you just sort of think oh black people equals aggressive yeah. and that's not even necessarily a categorization that like black people have imposed upon themselves it's like a practically largely constructed by how they're perceived by other people yeah very much a given stereotype from very much like slavery and Mm. all of that feed into how we have been bred as black people and it becomes difficult to escape those things because if you express yourself in a certain type of way you're read that way Mm. and it's kind of I think it's hard sometimes I'm always like okay like how do I look at black womanhood if I was to, there's also differences between like, I always find like fashion and beauty concepts very much feed into black womanhood. And I don't know how much I'm, how much I can really say I'm there with that movement as a moment, because I'm kind of like, we don't want to put value on admitting to the stereotypes of whiteness, but at the same time, we also like, adopt that as part of our black regime of beauty so like mm. black some black women would say oh yeah I wear a weave I want blonde hair but there's an underlying issue sometimes I always say with those things mm. but you don't want to play too much to it because I'm always like how much weight do we put on these things yeah. and beauty labels and stuff like that and I'm like how do you escape very yeah. much anything of those in black womanhood without being demonized as being oh you want to be you want to be white you mm. want to be more european standard it's like yeah no i see what you're saying because like so many mechanisms of black beauty actually become quite like impa- like empowering and like important to yeah. the, like different like black communities and obviously so much i don't know there's just so much tied in, like, for example, like, black hair. Yes. Like, whether you're yeah. wearing it natural, whether you're going to have it straight. But, like, it shouldn't be a matter that you judge uh, a person because they want to, I don't know, adhere yeah. to a certain beauty yeah, convention. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, it feeds into Rachel Dozel quite well, actually, because with her, she... One of the ways that she actually tried to pass as black was with her hair, which was actually quite yeah. significant, was the <laughs> fact that she was doing black hair yeah. while she was claiming to be black. But she was styling other people's yeah. hair as well. And it was, it, for me, that concept <laughs> would just was crazy because hair is such a significant thing in the black woman community. Mm. So I'm always like, I was just amazed by this. And the fact is she put, when she was in a doc- documentary, The Rachel Divide, there was so much emphasis around hair. So I was like, there was very yeah. much hair is such a pinnacle point of black womanhood is hair hair styling she had braids she had it in a weave she had it in a, like she had it yes, an she afro did. and she all did. of those very stereotypical black power like empowered hairstyles she adopted to be more easily read as black 
it was just very fascinating to me. I was watching and I was like, wow. While we're talking about her, can you just explain real quick who she is? Uh, Rachel Dozel is most notably known for passing as a black woman. She was a leader of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington, and her parents outed her as a white woman who was passing to be black. Um, Very controversial topic that a lot of people don't agree with her. She's been slated heavily on the media about this and I some arguments I agree with some arguments I disagree with it just depends on I think it depends on what you're willing to define blackness as Mm. and again going back to defining black womanhood how you would define black womanhood would be would would inform your position of what you feel about Rachel Dozel I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with a white woman adopting the space of black womanhood just because of how we as black women are read and then a white woman wanting to adopt that kind of feels very uncomfortable and it seems very just unnecessary you're like but why would you yeah why would you want to be a black woman is kind of the question that I kind of had and then I kind of was questioning myself of like why wouldn't she mm, yeah so it was those it was that double-edged sword of being like but why would you want to be in the position of being undermined mm. and discriminated against because I don't want that life, but also I do love being a black woman. So yeah. why would you not want to adopt this community exactly. and be in this black womanhood? It's kind of a double-edged sword. And I just, with her, I was just there like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she had considered it, perhaps. It doesn't seem like she had considered it so much in that way. Like, that what you're sort of saying about, you know, of course you'd want to be a black woman because you have, like, pride in being black. Um, but I don't think she considered the, like sort of struggle that it takes to be black and what you kind of have to go through to be black that almost being black is not it's more than just sort of the color of your skin yeah i was kind of thinking as well that sort of i think saying that you respect or admire black women doesn't have to mean that you have to take their space yeah yeah that's where i'm like like from my position as a white woman as well like i would never think like oh I love black women so much, so I'm going to take away their yeah. spaces. That's <laughs> so silly, you know? Just, like, I really do not understand the way that she reasoned this with herself yeah. and with everyone else and tried to justify taking on an identity that might or might not belong to her. That's a yeah. big discussion, right? But then doing so by infringing In a into space. a space yeah. that is so hardly fought for and so hardly won, yeah. you know? that's where I just like really struggle with giving her any sympathy at all it's hard because I like the documentary is quite insightful and I kind of like ended up reading her book because I just got oh, into it I just wow. ended up delving really into her life and becoming very now. upset <laughs> slightly um but it her story is actually quite amazing but the one thing that made me very uncomfortable about her and this is my only argument that I will say against her would probably be the fact that I feel like her argument for blackness is so underdeveloped yeah and she very much tied her black womanhood with her black sons so she has a son that's biological and adopted her one of she adopted her brother and um who was adoptive black child from Africa Mm. and her argument was the fact she adopted her own brother yeah so basically her parents were two a white couple who adopted four black children 
but they abused these children. Yeah, awful. So So Rachel Dezer, once she got older, went to a historically black university, married a black man, had a black son, and then adopted her brother from her parents. (laughs) It's very, it's very, like, because she studied African studies at university, and she was teaching African studies at a black university. So it was very much like she felt very much like she needed to be in that space Mm. but her blackness as a black woman wasn't tied to her being a black feminist it was very much tied to her fighting for black men's rights so it was all like oh police brutality stories but not of like sandra bland it would Mm. be of of eric garner it wouldn't be sandra bland she wouldn't be fighting for those type of things or talking about the fact that black women in american prisons california are being sterilized she never yeah. touched on those issues. It was very much police brutality, black bad boys going to prison, the schooling system failing black boys. So I kind of had much issue with that. I was like, you're not, your blackness is only tied to black men and you're still undermining black women because you're yeah. ignoring that struggle still in the space that you're wanting to be in, which really irritated me. It's so kind it's of like, like picking, a sorry. crooked alliance well, in a way, It's just picking right? and choosing yeah. which parts of black you want to be, which I think is what you can do if you're a white person coming in and trying to be black. You're coming from a position of privilege, yeah. essentially, where you can pick, like, oh, I want this part of blackness and this part, but, oh, no, I don't, I don't actually have to deal with any of the other stuff. I mean, even if she passed as black, she still will always be white and she will always have had the privileges of whiteness. Yeah. And, and that's something that if you're a black person and you're saying, I want to pass as white, it doesn't really work in the same no, way because yeah. you're not coming from a position of privilege. Yeah, you're trying to enter privilege, which is, you're trying to enter privilege, which is yeah. more understandable and more people can be like, okay, I can see why. Yeah. Because we all know that you're not like, you're entering some a space that's going to give you more opportunity and mm. people will be like, okay, I can sympathise with that. It but you'll never different. attain it though. Like, no, you can never. you considered as like or respected as white or have no, lived a can't. life where you've uh, experienced a bunch of white privilege. When you you went to red as black, you always be red as black. It's very hard to leave that mm. space. And I think what Rachel Dozell was tapped into is whiteness is very much not as constructed as hot, like as rigid mm. as blackness is, I think. I think blackness is very much tied to the colonial legacies, very much tied to those sexual morality movements and black people really struggle to escape that because as much as we trying to redefine blackness nowadays mm-hmm. it's very much diminished by the fact that we still are pertaining to this idea of the hypersexualizedness that mm-hmm. we're still not feeling we can rise above those labels that have been prescribed to us and it's kind of hard when you've got universities that don't want to study African studies as deeply because African studies is very intrinsic to me I think to diminish this whole rigid Mm. definition of blackness but we only delve into US black feminist movements of the 60s we don't go any further than that and that whole thing is still very much reading into this colonial we're stuck at colonialism and we haven't moved past that and that keeps those stereotypes going and I'm very much like okay but there's a history before that of blackness. I mean, the whole sort of Western perspective on blackness is so incredibly skewed. You're, you're sort of shown like a very narrow, very sort of colonial, very white gaze of yeah. what sort of black history and black culture is. And it, also in Britain, you don't really learn about black British history. You no. learn about black American history. history and I'm yes. really not sure why. I think it kind of serves to keep black people... It's like African of... diaspora is still very yeah. prevalent in... 
education and mm. academics and I'm always like if we read an African perspective of African feminists would they feel the same way as we do mm. as a British black woman mm. I don't know because I think maybe in Africa there may be more mm. further forward I mean there's a tribe in Af- in Kenya that literally is just black women mm. by themselves functioning their idea of black womanhood must be completely different to ours yeah. so I'm also like we still we can't fight these labels unless we're in touch with the African side of the studies and listening to those African voices as well as listening to the black US academics I think both need to still be there because I don't think we can really truly be in touch with the full definition of blackness without that true it's about like a diverse range of sort of opinion uh, experiences and representations yeah unless we're still just stuck in that colonial reading of ourselves and, and I'm just like this is what I'm trying to go away from but I don't really know much else because my learning has very much been shrunk to that and I haven't we've touched like one black like one African feminist in studies but we haven't really gone outside of that and I wish we had a broader range of African feminists that I could read and experience and listen to that would go further into that African studies side more than the black US feminist movement because I think sometimes we get stuck in reading those things and then it becomes very much like this is what black women have been told and you will never attain to this beauty standard and this is this and then it's kind of like what does African women think about this do they have the same experience Mm -hmm. probably not Mm -hmm. but what is their definition of black womanhood and how what can I adopt from them to bring into the black feminist movement in the western world to make it more progressive yeah that's really interesting. I was wondering about something that you said earlier, actually. Mm. Um, and we spoke about this in episode one, where we were talking about white people with dreads. Oh, yeah. oh God. Something yeah. very controversial. Not actually that controversial, but I guess some people <laughs> find it very controversial. Um, so after we released that episode, obviously I've spoken with a bunch of people about it. Um and a lot of people were saying, but what if, for example, you have black children and they want to wear like traditionally black hairstyles, for example, and they want you to wear it too because you're their white mother. Mm-hmm. Um, would it then be okay? And that kept coming up. And I can't answer that question, but I also, I, I, was, I just kept wondering why white people have to find a way to justify yeah. to do this. That seems like to be like a common theme that just how always often, keeps happening. How often does that happen and have these people had well, experience of it or are they trying to... I know, I've never really seen like... Hypothetical situation like I've never really I think that, that's yeah. a situation that comes from Kim Kardashian because that seems to be her justification for oh, wearing braids and all that, right? Oh, so I think that's why suddenly, because that was such a big debate, I think that's why suddenly that's like in people's heads. But she wore braids before she had black children. Children. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> I, think, I think that's just she's just like touching his jaws. Really. I know she's like, I've got a black child now. It's fine. I yeah. can do this. It's like, no. What's wrong with you? I think I think with that, my position would be as long as you understand the history of black hair. I think with dreads, especially, there's a history, there's a culture mm-hmm. there of Rastafarianism that also would be very interesting in studies of sexuality mm. because they have a whole different belief that is very separate to African and black US movements, which is very untouched and very under-researched. But they have a whole um, meaning behind their dreadlocks. And it's not as just simple as, like, oh, it's a fashion statement. It's very much tied to their spirituality and very much tied to their sexuality as well. For women, it's very much tied to their sexuality. That's really interesting. Um, Because in Rastafarian culture, you have to, they expect women to be more modest. 
So they adopt that kind of reading of woman. So you, when you go to a Rastafarian church, you cover yourself up as a woman. You can't wear shorts. You have to wear long trousers and cover your arms. It's very much of that universe. So it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wear it because they want to keep their woman modest. They think it's cleaner. They think it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's a symbol of culture and community. So for them, it's more tied to that rather than it's a fashion statement. So I think if you understand that, and you co-opt into that learning of black hair, because I think black hairs have stories, like braids have a story because they're significant of slavery, and black women did them in their hair to make it easier, also represented the, the cornfields that they worked in, was also how braids came, across, came around. So if you understand the history, and I think if you're respectful of that history, wear it. But if you're just wearing it because you think it's cool, then I have an issue with that. Mm. I think there's so much history behind things that people don't really understand or see i even think that if you i still sort of think though that even if you have an understanding of that history i still think it's kind of an abuse not an abuse of that understanding but yeah maybe some like a you're kind of taking advantage of that Mm, understanding still if you're going to go and use i also wonder how many people who actually make the effort to gain that understanding would still choose yeah yeah that's true probably not they probably would but also aren't like dreads also a statement against white beauty standards yes. and like white hair. So yeah, then it's very like, much so. It just seems so like, I don't know, we've talked about this before on the podcast yeah. obviously and I assume it will keep coming up but it just seems like such a pointless, like it's taking away the, but mean, also like, the meaning. Like violent thing to do yeah. to be like, I'm taking your protest and I'm making it my own yeah. mm-hmm. and therefore I'm taking all the power out of it. Yeah. Because I can. Yeah. And that just seems so violent. Yeah, it very well, yeah. I find also sort of conversations I've come across with like friends of people who've got white dreads or people who have it mm. that, who are white and have dreads who've got white dreads. <laughs> they um <laughs> they don't really seem to they kind of very much justify why they have them because they like the look of them. They never I've never really actually heard anyone come at it from the perspective that you're talking about, mm, about like, no. understanding the history no one the I don't think I, I don't think I'll have either so I feel like then as a rule of thumb it's better to just be like no no like just don't because no one you, you obviously haven't done the research or, or no, like, yeah. I don't know put in the work <laughs> to, <laughs> to understand, sort of understand it. it or to sort of even give back to blackness in some way mm. or like a Rastafarian culture if you're going to go and use something from it I yeah. think very much for me, it also shows how much, how easily white people can enter black spaces and black yeah. people can't really enter white spaces in that same way because you will be read completely differently if you were a black person trying to enter or perceive or be read as white, mm. completely different. You're not going to, you can't, ex- you can't have that acceptability as a white person who just is like, I'm going to do my hair as in braids today. I'm going to have dreadlocks. Mm. It's very easy for white people to adopt and take and pick. Mm. from black culture that black people really can't do no. to whiteness because it seems so abrasive and offensive but the other way around is so acceptable and sometimes I'm always like oh, okay well we're entering our black space we're gonna wear African cultural material because that's cool we're <laughs> gonna have like and I'm just like mm. you're entering a space that we created and has ties towards things and mean things to people and then you're just entering it and you're like yeah, it's fine. I'm going to put my mark on that. It's like, yeah. how often do we need to keep this different version of, like, colonialism in mm. going across? It's like, okay, let's just keep adopting it and we'll just make it a different way. It's like, no. Yeah. 
when are we going to just make things separate and understand you can't enter a space like that all the time no. I think it's so frustrating because it shows to you how in some ways like your race is constructed in ways that aren't even like isn't even in your power yeah like it's constructed by things that are so external to you um for example you can't get into like uh, a certain public space or you're not allowed mm. to, you're followed on a shop because you're perceived to be a threat like yeah that's nothing to do with anything that you can control and everything to do with like social structures and systems around you that are sort of designed yeah to keep you red as black red as black keep you down um red as a threat red as you know but that's it but I also say I'm also like one of the things that I came across when I was writing my essay was the fact that without those things race is very fragile it's a very breakable system that doesn't need doesn't have much to pin it up without those readings and without that understanding of black and white without these stereotypes about this construction of threat and and aggression and violence and and just be all those readings keep black people Mm. black and white people white but without them if we were to completely if they didn't exist there would be no racial categories we wouldn't have a racial category Mm. because it doesn't race is not constructed on the fact of your biology it's very much constructed about your social standing and what people understand about you socially Mm. as black and white and i just one of those things i was kind of like Biology plays a very little part in very many arguments about race and race studies. It's very much culture and social and not very much of biology. Yeah, I feel like it's sort of a social structure that's taken on a lot of sort of personal uh, meaning. Yeah. So maybe not biology, but like, I don't know, the social structures have still created. Like yeah. It's actually, because like you were saying earlier, in some ways, they, it's become like a positive meaning. So I don't know if it's like to do away with we could do away with racial structures entirely because in so many ways they've become important important yeah. and flipped on their head and yeah. made so valuable. But yeah, I don't know. It's one of those. That's what the thing I was literally just at the end of my essay. I was like, I really don't know how to move forward in this like whole <laughs> conundrum of like blackness and black womanhood because it is at the same time as like everyone's like we want to diminish the racial structures. It is very critical to our understanding as black women Mm. as black people in general a community it's very important that we have those racial structures but at the same time they are very oppressive and discriminating towards the black communities so it's kind of like how do you then progress when there's so much meaning in this like history and for what but you want to be equal how do you do that because then your reading becomes completely different yeah and is that comfortable for people do people want to be read that way now (laughs) That's the thing. I guess the question is, is the oppression the basis for the solidarity, right? Mm. Mm. So, like, can... I wonder about this a lot as well with, like, being queer. Is it... Would it still be a community so tightly knit if we weren't oppressed? And Mm. if we didn't have these same negative experiences? Like you said earlier, that that black womanhood comes from, like, owning or resisting these stereotypes. So, yeah, I guess, like, do white men have this this like sense of solidarity well, that would be a well i guess they do but in being red as a white man yeah yeah i guess it's not even solidarity it's just like entitlement yeah that, that is the sol- yeah. yeah well done well, that is it <laughs> <laughs> no i just think that was a good perfect way to frame it do you have like a final statement or something 
my final my final statement would be just the conundrum of understanding categories of identity I think that was the one thing that we all in my panel came across was the fact of identity and where does how much emphasis do we place on it is it important to us Mm -hmm. is understanding ourselves as straight gay bisexual pansexual black white asian are they important do they really like how much emphasis are we putting on them are we putting too much are we putting too little and if that i just it was just the point where i was just like i don't know i don't know i think sometimes maybe we overemphasize or we underemphasize but it's one of those things i'm mm. like i'm never too sure about identity or categories or any of that i'm all like what do i do this is so many it's confusing yeah maybe <laughs> but it's also like we all have so many yeah. within yeah. ourselves like embodied right so yeah yeah and so which I one agree. do you prioritize sometimes yeah. is always the thing and most like what do i want need to prioritize because some of them don't fit as nicely as you need them to fit yeah. <laughs> and then you're like oh god i'm in this I guess conundrum sometimes i prioritize the one that like if i'm in a situation where i'm with straight people i will prioritize my queerness yeah and then if i'm with men i'll prioritize my woman yeah Mm. it's one of those things you have to dip in and out because sometimes I'm like <laughs> they don't slot as nicely as I need them to yeah. so I'm always just shifting yeah. I'm like oh yeah female oh yeah black oh yeah they're <laughs> yeah, yeah but I guess the thing is that what we all know is we can't we can't separate them yeah and we all embody all yeah. of these identities right at the same time yeah mm. it's like you can pick and choose what you tell people but in the end they're there you're still you yeah <laughs> That's so cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you're still you in the way that you still have your experiences. Yeah. Even if you don't mention them, they influence the way that you think and that you experience other things, right? Mm. That's what I mean. I didn't mean, like... Thank you so much for coming on. It's okay. It's yeah, nice. it was so <laughs> nice to have you. This will be our last episode of the season, right? Exactly. So we're planning to be back in autumn. We don't have a specific date yet, so please just... Check out our Instagram and Twitter. You mm. can find us at the Bullshit Binary. The I is an underscore. And Great. have a lovely summer. Bye.